Act One, Part One of Civilian Clothes by Thompson Buchanan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cast in order of appearance Billy Arkwright, 25, late lieutenant, AEF, read by Andrew Gauntz. Nora, maid. Read by Annie Mars. General McHenry, USA, 50. Read by Todd. Jack Rutherford, late lieutenant. Read by Dave Courier. Florence Lanham, 21. Read by Jen Broda. Mrs. Lanham, 55. Her mother. Read by T.J. Burns. Elizabeth, 20. Her sister. Read by Ashley Jane. Sam McGuinness, 27, late captain, American Expeditionary Force, winner of the Distinguished Service Cross Medal, read by Thomas Peter. Mrs. Margaret Smith, 29, friend of the Lanhams, read by Sonia. Bessie Henderson, 22, friend of the Lanhams, read by Anamika. Zach Hart, 52. Played by Son of the Exiles. Mr. Lanham, Florence's father. Read by Alan Mapstone. McGuinness Sr. Read by Wayne Cook. Bellhop Boy. Read by Muninha. Made in Hotel. Read by Kathy Marie Walshack. And Stage Directions. Read by Adrian Stevens. Scenes. Act 1. The Library in the Lanham House, Louisville, Kentucky, winter of 1919. Act 2. Dining Room in the Lanham Home, a month later. Act 3. Scene 1. Parlor Hotel, Grunewald, New Orleans, a week later. Scene 2. Captain McGuinness's Room, Hotel Grunewald. Act 1. Scene. The Lanham Library in Louisville, Kentucky. A handsome, old-fashioned house. The room looks out on the smart street of the town. Big windows on the left. Entrance from the broad hall through double doors centre. Broad double doors on right covered with curtains. Lead into the dining room. Outside in the hall, broad stairs can be seen leading up to the rooms above. These must be practical, as at times in the action they will be used. The furniture is a mixture of the old and the new, as though showing two elements in the house. Mahogany, 200 years old, is mixed here and there with smart modern furniture, making a combination that, while rich and comfortable, would cause a modern decorator to expire in a delirium of horror. But everything shows wealth and position, and every piece taken individually is in good taste. A big board sofa is placed facing front, showing the fireplaces there. A handsome scream, upper stage right, partly cuts off the room on that side. The deeply recessed windows afford cushioned seats. Time. A winter afternoon in 1919. Discovered. At the rise, Billy Arkwright is on the stage alone. He is seated on the divan facing front before the fire, imagined to be where the footlights are. About him is that 
do-or-die air of the man who has come to make a proposal and is going through with it no matter what it costs. He is obviously nervous. He crosses and recrosses his legs, moves about on the seat, rises, walks to and fro, obviously going over a speech and arguments in his mind, reseats himself on the sofa, turns half sideways, goes through pantomime talking to imaginary girl, talks to himself so that the audience must get it from his lips, his expression, his pantomime, business with pillow. Florence, I love you. I've loved you always. I want you to marry me. He pulls out his watch, looks at it again, frowns as a man well satisfied, anxious to have it over with, goes over, rings bell on right, then returns to lower centre. Billy Arkwright is about twenty-six, tall, dark, slender, handsome. His face, his figure, his manner all show unmistakably the breeding that comes from several hundred years of gentlemen ancestors. He has both the good points and the bad points of his class to a marked degree. Physically brave, honest, honourable, he yet lacks the moral fibre to make a real success of his life if he had to do so. He does not think very fast and he cannot think deeply, but he is courteous. He loves everybody and everybody loves him for his nature and weaknesses. His chief weakness is conviviality. He will drink with anybody, and he can't stand much. Nora answers the bell, entering centre. She is an Irish woman in her forties, with remains of unusual good looks, and the air of the privileged servant, who has been in the family at least twenty-five years, and nursed the daughter of the house. She is thin, her face is sharp, and her tongue can be sharper when she lets it be. Between Arkwright and Nora is the air of people who have known each other for years. Nora is dressed in a maid's costume. Billy, elaborately consulting his watch. Nora, does it always take young ladies just half an hour to dress? No, sir. Sometimes it takes much longer. <laughs> I've been waiting on Miss Florence Lanham exactly 32 minutes. Well, Mr. Arkwright, to my certain knowledge, we've all been waiting on you a couple of years. Nora, you take base advantage of the fact that once you used to spank me. And Miss Florence, too. I'll never know which of you needed it most. Pause. Are you sure Miss Florence is at home? Well, she always is to you, sir. Oh. Besides, I think she was expecting you. What makes you say that? Well, sir, I've noticed ever since she got back from France, Miss Florence has been sort of, uh, expecting something? Something, er, uh, pleasant? Well, sir... Sometimes it's pleasant and sometimes it ain't, but they all like to have it over with. Oh. I'll tell Miss Lanham you're waiting, sir. Turns to exit centre. Billy crosses to Nora. Oh, Nora. Going up, she pauses and half turns. Will you fix it so we are not disturbed? Nora turns straight front. A grin comes to her face. She nods. He nods. I understand, sir. 
goes to door, half pauses affectionately. Good luck, Mr. Billy. Now get it over with. She exits centre. Billy draws the long breath of a man setting himself for an ordeal. There is a light noise outside the centre door. Nerving himself, Billy strides to the door, gulps a couple of times, prepares to begin with a rush. Billy, as door slams, speaks with rush left of door. Florence, I've been waiting for... For me, Mr. Arkwright? Huh. <sighs> Not by a damned sight. Turns down centre in disgust. General McKinnery is a West Pointer who has gone up fast on account of the war. He is a man between forty-five and fifty, of average height or a trifle under, beginning to enlarge a little at the waist, a smooth-faced, keen-eyed man of the world, and like most West Pointers, he has a good idea of the main chance and the advantages of the right sort of marriage. It is obvious that all the joy has gone out of life for Billy. He comes down, sits disgustedly, left end of sofa. The general looks at him keenly, moves down, takes another chair, right centre. A long pause. Did you ever notice, Mr. Arkwright, the atmosphere of places? Now I'm peculiarly sensitive to it. Really? Never would have guessed it. Pause. Take this Lanham house, for instance. There's an atmosphere about this room that's unmistakable. An atmosphere, warmth of cordiality. Why, I've never entered the house that I haven't felt perfectly at home. Sits on chair right of Davenport. Billy sits on sofa, centre. I remember in France you used to tell us, General McHenry, it doesn't take a great deal to make an old soldier feel at home. Precisely. Pause. Billy glares at his watch. Forty minutes. General looks at his watch. Just five o'clock. Billy innocently. Time for retreat, General. Generals don't stand retreat, Lieutenant. Billy indicating his clothes. Neither do civilians, General. Pause. You've known Miss Lanham a long time? When the first settlers built a fort on this river to keep away the Indians, there was a family of Lanhams and a family of Arkwrights. Mayflower? No, Virginia. Wonderful girl, Miss Lanham. Energetic, efficient, prompt. Billy looks at watch. Yes, prompt. Forty-two minutes. Never will forget the first time I met her. Billy doesn't pay much attention, though General talks on, pleased with his own ideas. It was at the San Miguel show. San Miguel? Yes. After you had been transferred to the Argonne, we were getting troops up into position before the show started. I had gone forward past the Brigade O.P. It was black as your hat. Had just gotten to one place where there was a shaded light, when who should I find there but a girl handing out hot chocolate to the doughboys as they came by? It was Miss Lanham. Flo. She was a Red Cross canteen girl, but that wasn't exciting enough, I suppose, for there she was right up almost in the front line with the Salvation Army get-up handling out chocolate to the boys. Hell, 
Any man would fight when they saw women like that, you know. You did not let her stay, did you? Of course not. Ordered her back in a hurry. Pause. Chuckles. Found out afterwards she didn't go. Just like Flo. I never could make her do anything. Wonderful girl. Pause. For some lucky man, she'll make a wonderful wife. Billy rises, looks at the general with sudden alarm and suspicion. The general shifts uncomfortably. Now I know what you're here for. No, no, nothing of the sort. Stands up. Oh, yes it is, all dressed up in your new uniform and all your decorations. You're here today to propose to her. Ridiculous. I agree with you. Well, really, Mr. Arkwright, since you take that tone, I don't see what would be so ridiculous about a proposal by me. Billy, turning to General. Florence Lanham's not the girl to waste herself on an old man. General, facing Billy front of sofa. Waste herself? Indeed. While I do not think this sort of discussion is in the best taste, still, since you have forced it, I must say that I consider Miss Lanham too intelligent a lady to throw herself away on a young whippersnapper. Billy, going to center in front of sofa. Declare yourself. Are you or aren't you? Why, I... I... Well, if you won't declare yourself, I will. I came here to propose this afternoon. Now, give me a chance. Pause. Well, since you are so bold about the matter, Mr. Arkwright, I'll be equally frank. That is what I came for this afternoon. They look at each other. Pause. Billy, suggestively, sits left end of sofa. I was here first. General looks at Billy and sits. I would suggest, in view of... Nothing doing. That age-before-beauty stuff don't go with me. Both sit obstinately. General sits right end of sofa. Long pause. See here, young man. Doesn't it strike you we are acting like a couple of asses? They turn and look at each other. Speak for yourself, General. But if we both stay... I'll match you. Up. You're on. Up. Swing around to right and left end of table. Each produces a coin, stand at the table, just back of the divan, as they put their coins down. May the best man win. Hell no. May I win. We'll see. John Rutherford at the door. Hello, everybody. Damn. John Rutherford is tall, clean-cut, good-looking, good manners, good clothes, 25, and thinks on Tuesdays sometimes. Comes down, takes in picture. Matching? May I get in? Don't know. Looks at General. Say, Rutherford, when was the last time you proposed to Flo? You've got your nerve asking that. Billy to General. Isn't he an ass? You know, every fellow in the town takes to flow like the measles. To Rutherford. When was it? Last week? Rutherford hesitates, shakes his head. Well, well, 
I haven't seen her since yesterday. You belong in. Rutherford putting down his money. Let me get this. What are we matching for? Odd man wins. The other two get out and give him a chance. They don't quit for good? No, for this afternoon. Oh, I can ask tomorrow just as well. Yes, it might be a good idea to give her a day's rest. Everybody down? Nods, they put coins down. Everybody up? All left hands. Heads. Heads. Heads, damn it. Florence Lanham at the door. I hope I didn't keep anybody waiting. All grab their coins and look innocent. Billy looks at watch. Fifty minutes late and then comes a minute too soon. Florence Lanham is twenty-one, about five feet four inches with fair hair and blue eyes. One's first impression is what an unusually beautiful person. To the ordinary observer, this impression of beauty, of self-possession, of assurance, continues, but the discriminating man finds something disturbing, proud, impatient of restraint, impulsive, lovable, and withal possessed of tremendous nervous energy. Here is a crowded, single-track mind which makes of her life a series of rear-end collisions. When the inevitable obstacle that should have been foreseen arises, she is apt to blame fate and override it rather than to blame herself and try to get around it. She has never had anything she did not want ferociously, and never gotten anything she did not tire of immediately. Position, training, wealth have conspired to make her a snob, but she hates snobs when she knows them. Withal, there is tremendous happiness in store for her, and the right man who shall conquer her. Flow as the men leave the table. This is jolly. Awfully nice of you to drop in. Gives right hand to General, left hand to Rutherford, nods to Billy. Hello, Billy. Billy takes his own left hand with his right, shakes it. Charmed, I'm sure. General, very much the courtier. You are always worth waiting for, Miss Lanham. Thank you, General. Sits on sofa left. Billy wheels the tea table in front of her. You certainly came just in time. Why? Well, two of us were about to go. Sits right of Flo. Which two? Jack and General McHenry. Jack and General McHenry, the two show hostility. Me? Nothing of the sort. Nora enters, places cake on tea table. I should say not. Nora appears, rolling in tea table, from door right one. Rolls it down beside Divan in front of the group. She tries to pantomime to Billy that it's not her fault and she is for him. Right here, Nora. You needn't wait, Nora. Nora exits unwillingly, leaving T-Wagon crossing to right and exits. Flo looks from one to the other. Nora is an old dear, you know, but she's spoiled utterly. She sits left end of sofa, begins to serve tea. If I allowed her to stay, she would at least be telling you, General, what she thinks of the army and putting Billy in his place. I'd rather like to see someone put Mr. Arkwright in his place. Stands. Billy, left of flow, standing. Nora can. 
Remember the time, Flo, she caught me kissing you and spanked you for leading me into temptation? <laughs> All laugh. I remember nothing. Flo hands cup, tea, and cake to General, who takes it to chair right. Rum. Flo puts rum in tea and passes cup to General. Rutherford returns right, while Flo fixes cup for Rutherford. All of your servants down here old retainers? For instance, that very imposing butler I've seen, with the knee breeches and silk stockings. Knee breeches? That's a fad of mother's. No, indeed. But father discovered he was a slacker and discharged him on the spot. Now that the war is over, however, we are looking forward to the joys of competent men-servants once more. As a matter of fact, I notified the agency to send some today. Should be plenty of ex-soldiers. Imagine, after charging machine guns to come back to passing the soup. I tell you, Flo, advertise. Wanted. One butler only. DSC men need apply. Takes cup from Flo. Sits left on chair. And if the dinner is dull, he can regale us with his adventures. Flo, mischievously. Oh, you think my dinner's dull, General? No, none of that. Uh, certainly not. The tone is doubtful. I see I'll have to convince you. We'll make it a week from tonight. Make what? Dinner, of course. All of you. Thanks. Charmed. I'll Thank come. you. I'll be here Good. all night. A long pause. The men settled back, determined to stay. Billy, luxuriously, leaning back on chair left of sofa. I could sit here all night. The General and Rutherford look at him. And then some. General, rising and crossing to right, hands Rutherford cup. Going my way, Mr. Rutherford? Business handing cup and napkin to Rutherford. Rutherford, indignant. Say, I'm no kitchen police. Crosses to sofa. Hesitates. You going to stay, William? Till the last lone man retires. And don't call me William. Rutherford turns to Flo. Er, uh, by the way, Flo, remember what we were discussing yesterday? Billy sits bolt upright. The general turns sharply. Yes? Rutherford, leaning toward Flo. Any chance of changing your mind? Flo shakes her head. No! Billy to Rutherford. Good night. General, won't you have another cup? Billy rising. No, they don't care for any. Well, I'll be. Allow me, please. Flo hastens to him. They talk in pantomime. Rutherford cheerfully. Well, see you tomorrow. Starts as though to exit, stops, turns to Billy, who is grinning at Rutherford. You needn't grin. Fifty, you don't put it over, either. Go to the devil. General shakes hands, starts out with a bare nod to Billy, who grins at him fearfully. Flo comes down right centre, Billy down left end of sofa. Rutherford at door, taking General's arm as they go out. Jen! Jen! Didn't have any better luck than I did. I'd like to have you in my outfit. Exit. Flo turns to Billy and they look at each other. Both sit on sofa. 
It comes over him that the time for proposing has arrived. She is cool, friendly. Billy looks at her. He's suddenly panic-stricken. A long pause. Flo, after appreciable pause with rising inflection. Well? Er, uh, quite well, thank you. Another pause, after it has become pronounced, simultaneously turning to each other. But... Flo. Both stop. Billy moves toward her on sofa. I, I beg your pardon, you were saying... There's something the matter with you, Billy. I'll get you some scotch. Rises. No. I am going to do this on my own. Do what? What I'm... Pauses. Poor Billy boy. Reaches over in friendly fashion, puts her hand on his. Come tell mother all about it. Both sit. Billy, shaking her hand off, resenting her friendly superior air. Desperately. Oh, Flo, can't you help a fellow out? Certainly. Now what have you been doing? And I thought it would be so... easy. Flo, encouragingly. Anything is easy if you really set your mind to it. Do like you used to do when you took medicine. Shut your eyes and go to it. Come now, tell Mother all about it. Billy desperately shuts his eyes, holding her hand in both of his. Flo taking her hand away. Billy! No. I mean... Will you be my... Flo, teasingly. My children's mother, Billy? Don't be an idiot. Billy, I believe you're in love. What did you think I had? A pain in my tummy. Pause. Well, say something. I don't know what to say. Nonsense. You were never in that fix in your life. Flo's obviously disturbed, but plainly she is interested, even believes herself in love. But something is holding her back, making her try to avoid Billy's proposal. Do I... do I understand, Billy? You are trying to ask to be the father of those children about whom you are so eloquent. Billy takes her hand. Flo. I want to marry you. Flo teasing to cover her own feelings. Oh, I'm sure your intentions are honorable. Please, Flo, stop teasing me. Flo with genuine regret and feeling. Billy. Billy taking her hand again. Say yes, dear. I... I wish I could, Billy. Billy in surprise, horror and misery. Flo, you don't mean that. I can't, Billy. I just can't. Why? Don't ask me that. Billy, in the violent emotion of his love and the feeling of a man crossed the first time in his life. Don't... Hell, you think I'm gonna let you turn me down without finding out why? His anger and force move her much more than his pleading. Then feeling he hasn't been a gentleman, he weakens. Forgive me, I don't mean to talk that way, but... Oh, Flo, can't you see this is everything to me? Flo with sympathy. Billy. Everything, Flo. Why, ever since we were kids, I've never thought of anyone but you. 
There hasn't been a time since I can remember that I haven't looked forward to that day when we would be married. Yes, I used to think so too. We both thought so all our lives. Why, we can't remember when we weren't sweethearts. Billy, don't. Everybody that knows us expects us to be married. I can't marry you now. I just can't. Why? There's a reason. Hang the reason. Is it because I've been a bit wild, Flo? If it is, I'll cut it out. Honestly, I will. I'll be the good little man who brings the steak home under his arm 365 days in the year. You dear boy. I'll be your slave, Flo. I'll do anything, everything you want me to. She looks at him, but he does not realize that he is on the wrong track. I don't want you to do anything, Billy. No man gets a woman by doing anything for her. Pause. Billy, with sudden suspicion, releases her hand and rises. You didn't fall in love or make any promise to any man you met over there, did you? Flo, her armor penetrated, gasps guiltily, stalls. What an absurd idea! I should think so. You aren't the kind of girl to become interested in any man you didn't know all about. When he is not looking, she sweeps him with one glance that shows how little he really knows her. Flo, her words contradicting her looks. Of course not. After all, what could you know about a man you just met in France? Yes, they all look alike, don't they, in uniform. But can you imagine me becoming interested in anyone not well-born, Billy? Billy, taking her hand again. Hardly. The Lanhams aren't that way. Sits. Pause. Oh, why can't you love me, Flo? Give me some reason. At least I'm a gentleman. Throughout the whole scene, Flo must have shown that she has been powerfully moved, that she believes she loves him, and several times she has wanted to go to him, but has been held back by some strong reason. Flo, obviously casting about for a reason. I reckon that's is, Billy. You were always too much the gentleman. Too much the gentleman? Yes, you've always been just that. My slave. You've never made me do anything. A woman has to be made to do things, Billy. Don't you understand? Oh, a lot of suffragettes can preach to the end of time, but that doesn't alter nature. And when I hear one of them declaring, No man ever made me do anything, I always feel like saying, Yes, but don't you wish he had? And face to face with her own soul, if she's a regular woman, every time she'll say, Yes. Billy, the idea sinking in, in amazement. Has anybody ever made you do anything, Flo? Flo, after a pause. Yes. Who was he? That doesn't matter. Now. What was it? Where was it? It was in San Miel. The General! Oh, goodness, no! The General couldn't make anybody do anything. Billy, relieved. Oh? It was the morning of the attack. I'd gotten up near the front and was putting out hot chocolate to the boys. The general ordered me back, but I slipped around out of his sight and kept on. 
The shells were coming over pretty fast when some of the infantry marched past to take position. I offered a cup of chocolate to a captain. He passed it on to one of his men, then asked me how the devil I got there. I told him I walked, and he said I better walk back again. I laughed at him. Next, he ordered me back. I refused to go. Then he called me a damn plucky little fool, boxed my ears as though I'd been a naughty child, and sent me to the rear crying with rage, my head ringing and a soldier holding each elbow. He struck you? Hard. I don't believe he realized his strength. The cowardly brute. Who was he? He was a man. And you said you weren't interested in anybody. What's his name? That doesn't matter. Now. Well, it does matter. I'll... There's nothing you can do. Now. Why? He's dead. Pause. With a distinguished service cross. For boxing your ears? For extraordinary heroism in capturing a machine gun and killing five Germans single-handed. You see, he didn't limit himself to striking women. All the same, he was a big rough-necked brute. But don't you wish you'd done it? All of it, Billy. Even boxing my ears? There's been a lot of times I wanted to. Flo turns to him. I wish you had. Oh, Billy, why didn't you make me love you? Why didn't you make me marry you before you went over there? It would have saved me so much. Billy takes her hand. I... I wanted to, Flo, but I... I'm not making any grandstand play, but, well, I thought I might get knocked off over there and it wouldn't be fair to you. As though a woman ever asked a man to be fair when she loved him. You did love me. Yes, Billy. I thought I did. Then I'll make certain of it. I'll make you love me if I have to beat you three times a day. She is closer to him than she has been yet, half amused, half wistful, wholly moved, puts her hand on his. Billy, I... Feeling she is about to yield, Billy turns to her impulsively, just as Mrs. Lanham enters, accompanied by Elizabeth Lanham. Mrs. Lanham is short, she is fat, she is handsome, with the distinction and the manner that is popularly supposed takes three generations to acquire. She has more than a fair appreciation of the honour it will be to any man to become her son-in-law, and she is determined to choose a son-in-law worthy of her. Moreover, she has never forgotten that she was once a great beauty, and that she made a worthy marriage. She is about sixty years old. Ineligible young men have been known to call her the dragon, but she does not know many ineligible young men. She is absolutely without humour. Elizabeth Lanham is what her mother was at twenty-five, and she will be her mother over again when she reaches that age. Both Mrs. Lanham and Elizabeth are dressed for the street, and have evidently just come in. Both take in the situation at a glance, and their mutual delight shows that both completely misunderstand it. Elizabeth, gaily, back of table. What did I tell you, mother? There they are, wooing and scallywagging. Billy rises, jumps to his feet guiltily, crosses to chair left. Don't you believe it, Mrs. Lanham? I am wooing all right, but Flo is doing the scallywagging. 
Mrs. Lanham, completely misunderstanding, comes down to Divan. I'm sure it wasn't very serious, Scalawagging. And I know you've both made me very happy. Billy. Kisses Flo, holds out left hand to Billy. Flo gasps. Mother! Billy's face grows tragically blank. Flo sees the unfortunate position he is in. Don't say a word. My mother caught your father and me the same way. <laughs> we were married very shortly afterwards. But Mrs. Lanham... Guess. It wasn't much of a guess. No, it wasn't. Should say not. Perfectly obvious. To Billy. Wasn't it? Yes, yes. Suppose so. Grins from one to the other. Do I kiss Billy? Under the circumstances? Does she kiss me, Flo? Under the circumstances? I wouldn't have her miss it for the world, under the circumstances. Elizabeth comes over, kisses Billy sincerely. I'm awfully glad. We've all been waiting on you and Sis such a long time. Elizabeth! Have you? It's time Billy was going. Billy, what makes you so flustered? And Sis, why both of you? Looks from one to the other, puzzled. Billy, obviously greatly embarrassed, he is embarrassed for Flo, she for him. I'm not flustered. Flo, with deadly calm, comes down. Perhaps, Bess, you'd be flustered if... Stops short. Mrs. Lanham, who hasn't paid much attention. I think that's very sensible. A short engagement. And a pink wedding. When? Looks from one to the other. I think... I know Billy must be going. Come, Billy. Starts up centre. Elizabeth crosses to Flo to stop her. No, we'll settle this first. When? Never. Never? never? Why? Why? Yes, never. You two walked in here and just jumped at a conclusion you both desired. That's all. Billy and I are not engaged and as far as I know haven't the slightest intention of becoming engaged. Well, but, but, I saw. You, you mean you were just... Scalawagging, mother, scalawagging. Sits. Mrs. Lanham is horror-stricken. I don't believe it. You're right, Mrs. Lanham. I was proposing to Flo and... And he didn't get a chance to finish. Goes into laughter. Come, mother. Goes toward door. Mrs. Lanham, shocked to the bottom of her conventional soul. Elizabeth! To others. Awfully sorry, terribly stupid. But, well, come, Elizabeth. I think we'd better leave the children alone. Moves on to go. Flo signals to let them go. Billy won't. Wrong again, Mrs. Lanham. She refused me. Re... what? Turns about and sits down, right centre, slowly with great dignity. Well, will somebody tell me the meaning of this? I can't very well marry Billy if I don't love him, Mother. Mrs. Lanham to Flo. Then what do you mean by waiting so long to break his heart? Everybody is expecting it of you, Flo. At least you might be accommodating. 
Flo looks over her shoulder. Well, sis, why don't you marry him? Elizabeth startled, but the idea is evidently not as distasteful as it might be. Me? Billy, at the same time, involuntary horror. Good God, I beg your pardon. Elizabeth with wounded dignity. Certainly. I don't think I can add anything to the discussion. Exit, her feelings miffed. But, Florence, you must be married sometime. Not necessarily. Mrs. Lanham horrified to the depths of her soul. Good gracious! I never... Stops aghast just as Mr. Lanham enters, centre. End of Act One, Part One